There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and you are very welcome along to this week's episode of the group chat from Virgin Media News. I am political correspondent Gavin Riley, joined in studio, as always, by news correspondent Zara King. Zara, hello. hello. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. And Richard Chambers, hello. Hey, Gav. Uh, I must open with an apology. We are late doing our record this week because I was tied up with security I know, stuff. I would have known, no, 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 I, I, no, know, I know that's the magic of all this, but it's, uh, I, I feel yeah, like... I'm the, late every week. Well, it's basically it's a preemptive <laughs> excuse that if this is a little rough around the edges this week, it's because I'm very late getting in because I was spent this morning with the Chinese Premier and his Irish... So tell us about that before we get get going. What, what mad? Just just mad. It, actually, Have you been what, up since like five o'clock? By the way? Yeah, I had to be here at like a quarter past six to get a taxi to the RDS to do pre-security. It's one of those things where they make you do airport-style security off-site before they then bring yeah. you on a bus to wherever's their secure spot. So it meant it was insanely early. Um, now Orson Uthor looks really nice in a good frosty morning. Lots to be said for it. Um, what is ma- mad is that. You don't appreciate, like, because we're used to thinking of, like, the president of America as, like, you know, the, the leader of a superpower. You kind of, it's not really on your radar that there are other big ones that carry, like, massive security presences as well. Like, we spent most of lunchtime at Farm Lee because that's where he was meeting Leo Varadkar. Farm Lee, by the way, partly because it's off radar for any protesters and the Chinese would consider any demonstration of protest to be a security threat. So they want you to be as far away from... Joe they Public is possible. Make sure that in the entire park until six o'clock this evening. Annoying to me this morning. Uh, to, to, to try and get your, your runs in pre roam um, But they, oh. not only that, but they also had like soft cap, soft cap lads on the roof farm Lee with binoculars potentially to scope out anyone who was planning to mount any kind of political protest from a few hundred yards away, uh, which is very heavy security. Um, but mad stuff, massive delegation, um, Chinese tourists uh, visiting journalists who were very excited to see the Hapley Bridge on the bus on the way down oh. at a quarter past seven in the morning when you could nice. barely see it. Getting very excited at the Guinness Brewery. Uh, taking lots of pictures of the bridges of the Liffey because they clearly thought that they were all very small it's and It's kind quaint. of nice sometimes to see your city through the eyes of other people who don't live here. Yeah, yeah, it but they, I nice. think that they definitely all the thought... They some was, great bridges as well. They all thought that fair. it was a novelty yeah. to um, to how small the bridges were, basically, because I suppose that they're, oh. they're used to cities being a little bit bigger. Did you explain to any of them about the, the width of the O'Connell Bridge, you know, yes. and how important yeah. that is? That it's, it's one of those factoids, one of those da factoids. If are still here and are still looking, it's very important to know that O'Connell Bridge is wider than it is long, uh, which makes it a particular class of a bridge, the name of which I can't remember. Um, outcomes wise, we are resuming beef exports to China, which is obviously a very big market, which is great news for oh, wow. uh, those involved. It was all such a, a last minute thing at the meeting that Charlie McConnellogue was in the motorcade back to the airport to discuss the arrangements before the Premier got on his plane to head off again. The big plane. The big plane. The biggest plane Dublin Airport has ever had. I do love that that's what people woke up to today was that big headline about the big plane. Enormous headlines. It's the most us thing. I have huge respect for aviation enthusiasts, um, but I love whenever there's a story involving a big plane, which we will always (laughs) basically refer to as the big Big plane plane. story. There was the Ukrainian big plane story in Shannon Airport. That was was when Eric did a couple of years ago. There's been a couple of big planes. There was The A380, I think, was a Dublin Airport one. Point. And there are big always plane. AV geeks whenever Air Force One is around. I remember Eric the... doing a full-on package on that big plane in Shannon that time. Yeah, yeah. 
And that, the newsroom being really excited and kind of putting it quite up high in the running didn't order. It, it arrived, it, that was here before PPE. It was one of the mm. ones that was used for, for PPE shipments because of its size, uh-huh. but that was here before PPE as well. Right. But I definitely remember it being a big thing. We do love big a big plane. plane. Yeah. Big plane leads to a big <laughs> beef deal. Yeah. Uh, and that's the news for today. Um, Richard, you've spent uh, some of the last couple of days in Ross Grey, uh, which has been understandably close to the topping news agenda. Uh, and of course, as we are uh, recording this on Wednesday afternoon, the doll is back from its recess and it's debating all of this. Um, the government's talking about trying to clarify its communications to make the current stance on immigration a little clearer, to dispel what they consider some myths. How's that going? Well, there there are myths. There are myths consistently put out there. We all know what the myths are. They're around unvetted military-aged men. And the government, and Leo Varadkar in particular, came out over the weekend and he was saying that the government is going to go on the front foot in tackling some of the myths which are put forward. Um, He said he will spell out the facts around Ireland's um, asylum and refugee policies, um, that it's a rule-based immigration system, that the vast majority of people who are coming here uh, into the country or immigrating to the country are here because they have, you know, work visas, they're here for reasons or student visas, et cetera, et cetera, and how deportations work. So this is all going to be part of the government's communications plan going forward. I think they've set aside space on the government website to do that. there is a website, a place that people who are sceptical about the government. Well, I think, I think, I, well, I, think, I think that's just one part of it. They're obviously going to be, if, if Varadkar did um, an op-ed in the Sunday Independent, which mm. is the most read newspaper in the country, so that was step one. If you're going to start off, you may as well start there. Um, so I think that's going to be something, to, it's going to be interesting to see how that actually does play out, mm. how a government-led misinformation campaign is going to work. It's probably something which should have happened a long time before now. But also, it's probably something which should have probably been taken on by the media long term ago before now mm. as well. So surely it's more of a government myth-busting campaign as opposed to a government misinformation campaign. I <laughs> hope so, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, but ag- again, there will be people who will argue that actually even Leo Varadkar in setting out to write an op-ed in the country's most read newspaper, that there was an element of misinformation in that uh, because one thing that he said was that, you know, the vol- he was talking up the volume of... Uh, deportation orders that are issued. So in cases where somebody applies for asylum, they have that claim rejected and then they're basically told, right, there are no further avenues for you to go. We are rejecting your claim. We're issuing a deportation order. Ireland basically expects the, most of those people to self-deport. There are very few cases where anyone is ever facing any kind of like a, a bench warrant or some kind of order mm-hmm. put out uh, to have that person taken into custody and then removed from the country. It just doesn't happen. Now, whether that's a necessary element of force you'd want people to have is an open question. People have their own views on it. But it's important to to note that when Leo Varadkar said, we're going to take this on, and he's talking about the scale of what the state does, there's a fair argument that he overstated a lot of what the state is actually capable well, of. Well, that's, that's why I don't think, like, I mean, it's 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 a good thing that the government is, is, is going to, given, you know, the members of government parties have actually been quite prominent uh, in some of the protesting that the government has decided now I think about probably about, I'd say it's about two years maybe since we started to have, you know, some elements of protesting around uh, asylum seeker accommodation in this country that they are going to take this on. But from the point of view of the media's standpoint, I think probably we all should have taken it on and other, you know, newspapers and other broadcasters as well should have probably been a lot more to the fore. I think there's probably an element of fear around trying to engage with far-right talking points as they were seen Mm -hmm. or the people who are pushing a lot of the unvetted military-aged men stuff. But now that that's gone very much to the mainstream, now it becomes, you know, as opposed to, oh, we don't want to take this on and give this credence, it's already in the mainstream, now it becomes too late. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's, yeah, there's issues around it anyway, right? I always think that that's a... 
a difficult balancing act for those of us who work in our line of work, Sarah, because if we're mm-hmm. talking about, you know, should should we, the media have been a more assertive in tackling myths as they emerged? There is that thing of like, are you validating talking points of people who are being untruthful? And should you devote some of your airtime and your resources and your brain power to mm-hmm. try to, uh, you know, stamp away these things that you don't think are mainstream concerns? Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting conversation. I think like the problem is with a lot of these protests is like this, there's a couple of different sides to it in terms of people's reasons for turning up and their reasons for being there. And I think it's, you know, very easy for someone who might start out with having a local concern that the only last hotel in the place is, mm-hmm. is going to be closed down. And, you know, if they want to have relatives come to visit and they don't have a spare room that they would have liked to have had them come and stay there or, you know, that it was a local amenity. You know, there's, there's one person that might feel that way and turns up for that reason. But then it becomes something that becomes hijacked by the far right over time or that you know people then end up sort of I don't want to say I think people kind of can end up finding themselves being sort of confronted with other reasons why they should be annoyed when actually they only started out being annoyed because they didn't want to lose a local amenity when they'd already Mm. probably been so open and given up so much you know but I think when it comes down to it like the you know I think anyone listening to the podcast today will probably reflect on some of the images that we've seen coming from like Ross Cray this week. And it's the small children, you know, being confronted by protesters, which for me personally, I think is is the standout, really sad thing in all of this is that, you know, at the end of the day, like these are children who are innocent in all of this, who are looking for shelter, looking for somewhere safe to stay, who have nothing to do with anything and, and, and are innocent and are being confronted with these really terrifying scenes. And that has to have an impact on those children. And I think someone has to be responsible for that. I don't know is that government because of the lack of communication or the lack of, as you say, adequate information. But who's accountable for, you know, for the trauma that those children mm. are exposed to? In that One thing I'm never sure about when we talk about consul- or, well, consulting communities, I know, is, is a, an interesting verb because there's that argument that which, what are you consulting about? What are you asking them? But even pre-informing communities about what your plans are, mm. this is kind of being held out as something of a silver bullet by the government that if only people were told in advance that maybe some of these concerns would go away. I'm not, I'm not so convinced that they would because, mm. Um, mm. you know, th- there's an argument, oh, well, if you're told in advance that it's only going to be uh, women and children, like, well, if people are complaining about, as we discussed last week, if people are concerned about the lack of facilities or if it's the last hotel in your town mm. and it's a really important civic amenity and so you don't have it anymore, does the fact that it's being used for families, does that lessen the frustration? I, I don't know if it does. Well, if you take Ballon Robe, for example, so when the initial decision was sort of communicated or when, you know, the protests were happening in Ballon Robe and it was all around the fact that it would be just single men, asylum seekers or international protection applicants who would be housed in that particular premises. When the government changed that decision and said it would be families there, the majority of the protesters stood down, but some people very much said, well, it's not about this. It's about anyone coming into this country. So you can't, it's, there's no, there is no silver bullet, as you say. Mm. But yeah. for, for a lot of people, particularly around the people who are in Ballon Robe, that was a sticking point, which again, we pointed to last week as the fact that this conversation around yeah. men has become very much a mainstream conversation. So mm. it's going to be interesting to see how it develops. And it's going to be interesting to see how Ross Gray develops as well. So Ross Gray, of course, there's been a protest for the last week or so outside the Racket Hall Hotel. Um, we've seen families arriving there, as Zara alluded mm. to there, with those unsavoury scenes there as well. Um, a solution or a mitigation, I suppose, has been put forward by the government to that we're losing our only hotel in the town, which obviously it's not just about people staying there. It's about a place for weddings, for funerals, mm. for christenings, any sort of community again. To meet and gather yeah. and Absolutely. have time together. Dinner after your, your kids' communion. Yeah. Nowhere else to go. Oh, now, oh, yeah. With a place of, of capacity where you yeah. can have like yeah. 200 people in it. If there's nowhere else in the town to do that, that is a loss to the town. Mm. Um, so the solution that the government's putting forward now and it's put forward by Jackie Cahill, a local Fianna Fáil TD, 
is that the government will basically buy another disused hotel in the town, dilapidated as some locals have described it, but they will basically put that into use as a community-run hotel. And there's a model for this being used uh, in County Monaghan. This was done out of funding from the Good Friday Agreement, and it's worked really well. So this is a new approach because it is, it's, it's listening to local concerns or what some local concerns are. There are obviously also legitimate local concerns around strains on GP care, mm. um, school places, all that sort of stuff, which... Mm. Was a concern before there was a, a, a migration or asylum seekers. A point I did want to make in passing that it's not that's not unique to areas that have had asylum seekers. Like I was no. talking to someone else over the weekend who was aghast to learn that I live in Dublin and have two small children. I don't have a GP. Yeah, and I went and got a full medical a couple of months ago, and I got them sent to the GP where my kids are on the books because I thought by extension I might be on their books. And then they were like, "No, you're not our patient." But did they and accept you, or did you have no, difficulty getting? Didn't so, oh, did no, not? no. So I, I'm still not on their books, and I like that's just life in in an urban area. There aren't enough. GPs to cope with the population. It's got mm-hmm. nothing to do with how many people from other countries you're suddenly accommodating. Mm-hmm. But, but the point about it is in the procurement of this other hotel which has been out of use is it is a new tactic from the government yeah. in terms of, right, we're going to say, we're going to show that we're listening to communities and while we'll try and we'll say, well, they've, they've basically come out a couple of times there and saying, look, we're going to put more resources into districts or areas which have the highest number of asylum seekers or Ukrainian refugees accommodated there. So this is one way of doing it in a practical sense put forward by a local representative Mm. which that local representative does believe will, you know, dissuade a lot of the protesters there. And what's your understanding of logistically how that'll work? I've no idea. Yeah, no, neither do I. I'm just like, I'm just saying, let's thrash that out. Like, I don't know, like what, you know, does it mean that maybe, you know, the accommodation will be provided for in this hotel they're buying and therefore the Racket Hall goes back to being like the local operating hotel or vice versa? Well, Well, the Racket Hall will be used for accommodation. Well, like that's, but but so that's if that's full. a twelve-month contract, for yeah. example, okay, then that's m- what I'm saying, might yeah. it be the case that the new state-owned community one yeah, is used for IP housing going yeah, forward, exactly. and Racket Hall is returned to, well, to commercial also, use? Well, also looking at the pictures of the hotel that's been, you know, the hotel that's going to be bought over, you know, it's mm. going to need a bit of work, so it could take twelve months. Yeah, well, they're, they're, longer, they're, yeah. they're talking yeah, about they're, they're, they're talking only about a sixteen-week uh, turnaround to try and get that back up and running, which of course still means that you're looking at like May at the very How quickly this decision has been made when you think of how slow the system moves on so many things. I mean, in in one. I think it's impressive but in another way I'm like if only we could get this level of speed going on other decisions that need to be made at government level Well on on a similar thread of uh, money being thrown at problems in the hope that it sort of comes up with a workable solution um, the cabinet met for its usual uh, weekly meeting on Tuesday morning and immigration and asylum was not supposed to be on the agenda and then on his way in Leo Varadkar opined to the media that basically off the hoof he was going to ask government departments, particularly education, justice and uh, media, because it's responsible for sports facilities, and ask them to figure out what other services could be offered to the 10 districts that have the highest proportion of IP applicants and mm. Ukrainians in their communities, which on the face of it, yeah, makes lovely sense if those those communities are particularly stretched by the volume that they've taken on. There should mm-hmm. be kind of some civic recognition of that. And then we had the post-cabinet uh, press briefing that I was at and I said, well, first of all, when he says districts, what does that mean? Is it towns? Is it local elected areas? Is it, is it counties? Is it a county or is it we like... Mm. didn't know. Do, do they have that information to hand already? Don't know. Uh, was that a press up with the Taoiseach after he had his meeting with the Chinese mm-hmm. Premier this lunchtime? Um, you know, what's going on there? He said, oh, we have another cabinet subcommittee in a couple of weeks. I've asked people to come back with some ideas then. It's it's a very nice notion, but it's really, really ill-defined at this point. And I would counsel against people thinking that it would be the panacea to, that will make a lot of these concerns go away. Well, no, and it is, especially if there are concerns, particularly around health-related services and any social care in communities, those aren't going to go away with just throwing money at it immediately. Um, 
so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this works. It, it, it is clear, though, in the, in the government responding to us that they very much see this as an emergency at this point, mm. whether that is a, an emergency of a political sense that they are facing in terms of backlash towards them in the upcoming local European elections and then the general election when it comes, because that is now a general accepted feel is that like accommodation for asylum seekers and immigration generally is going to be a general election issue. Um, some politicians saying that's going to be the first time that's happened this con- in this country. I'm not entirely sure that's that's the case, but it is on a, on a level we haven't seen before. Certainly is. Um, in terms of how that has been handled in terms of Ross Gray, Jackie Cahill probably comes out of this with quite a lot of credit. Um, yeah. Other TDs and other um, local activists have, you know, there's a Sinn Féin TD, Martin Brown, who has been criticised by other opposition TDs for appearing on a platform uh, alongside people who had concerns about the use of the racket hall. Uh, Jackie Cahill worked away in the background in terms of putting up a solution which he thinks will show the town that it's being listened to by the government. Whereas other TDs have been criticised as well for some of the language that they've used. Matty McGrath in particular has been singled out after he appeared in a video uh, saying that this was a colonisation that was happening. Uh, he has used the words around a takeover uh, and an invasion as well um, around this which have been very, very heavily criticised as being very similar to the talking points which are used often by far-right activists and agitators online. So that's something to watch as well, how that conversation around the TD or the the words of elected officials plays out because we are approaching very quickly a local election and a European election and the words that politicians say matters. We mentioned in passing last week that anyone who didn't catch Mr Bates versus the post office on the Virgin Media Player should catch up with it just because objectively it's a drama series, it's quite a good production and with some great performances. Um, but it's continuing to dominate the news agenda um, across the water, particularly with some um, some pretty frank admissions by some of the people mm. responsible this week, Sarah. Yeah, so the latest uh, that we're reading on it is that Fujitsu has agreed to contribute to the compensation of the sub-postmasters convicted in the post office horizon scandal. Um, so that's a big development in terms of, you know, how this is all unfolding. I suppose, look, for anyone who's not totally familiar with it, and I'll admit I wasn't actually myself completely across this story and it was only when we talked about it last week and we had a quick look at the Mr. Bates versus uh, the post office, which is on the Virgin Media Player. I've watched three of the four episodes now, which mm. actually is very good and would recommend if you're looking for something to watch. People rave about this. Yeah, though, it's yeah. actually yeah. very, very yeah. good, I have to say. Um, really well made. But... Like, I think the crux is just for people to understand really what happened is that this was in the early 2000s. These were the postmasters that were using um, technology within the postal system, this horizon technology that they were finding at the end of the day that the balances weren't totaling up and that they were, you know, suffering losses of anything from maybe a couple of pounds up to thousands and thousands of pounds. And the way it would work is that the postmaster would be liable for those losses. So, um, you know, they would call up the Horizon helpline and they would say, listen, there's a problem with my system here. You know, the, the numbers aren't coming out right. And they would be told crucially, well, you're the only person who's having this problem. Mm-hmm. You're the only person that's having this problem. So this is a you problem. And, you know, they would end up finding themselves liable for these thousands and thousands of pounds. Um, there were a number of people who were convicted. Um, More than 900 were, were prosecuted across the whole duration of it which is nuts like it's been described as the biggest miscarriage of justice in the history of Britain and I wasn't aware of this at all like I I, I know there's been a conversation online about um, oh, wasn't it like was it not reported or whatever like that? No, it was, it was reported a lot, but we just yeah. it just it just took something like this it was to put never it in the first thing on the news. No, totally, yeah. yeah. Mm. Like this was a silent sort of thing which ticked away for a long time. Um, but it's an insane story. Mm. It's an insane story, and I think if you watch the the sort of the drama which is based on the true story, you know, you see the impact it really had on those people's lives. You know, you had uh, one example of someone who died by suicide as a result of all mm. of this. You had. Um, 
you know, people whose, you know, relationships and marriages struggled. There were people who got sick because they were so concerned and worried about the pressure that they were under. Mm. And, you know, these were people that were, you know, pillars of their community who were working in the post office, who were, you know, so well got and so people relied on them in those small communities across the United Kingdom. And actually, um, they they found themselves under enormous pressure. Um, but yeah, you're right, Richard. It's one of those ones, like, I actually feel like we should have known more about it before now. It's it's not that long ago either. You know, even when you see the drama and they're sort of documenting oh, yeah. 2006, you're like, mm, well, that's actually, yeah. you know, not that long ago at mm. all, actually. Although it'll feel, when we're talking about Saltburn later on, 2006, we feel like an, <laughs> a, an age ago in a different yeah. way. But no, you're right. I think it's a, like, it's been a point that's been well made in the last couple of weeks, but I do think it's remarkable that when this has been covered by pretty much all of the major UK media outlets, the broadcasters, the newspapers, mm. uh, news magazines, other investigative websites and the like, that this has been such a matter of live, you know, debate, low level for so long, that it's it's a very interesting question with no straightforward answer as to why it took a TV dramatisation for it to really bubble up mm. and for it to become this thing where suddenly it was a thing that was being put in questions to Rishi Sunak whenever he was out and about that after almost two decades we then finally had the, the CEO or the chairperson of the post office handing back civil uh, honours that she was given in the midst of mm. all of this that there's now finally primary legislation to compensate people uh, and to expunge criminal records that they got for something that they didn't do. Even question marks around whether it's appropriate for the post office itself to be the prosecutor because it's just one of the quirks of British law that you yeah, don't need to, you don't need to, yeah. need to go to their version of the DPP. It's basically like revenue where if revenue mm. decide they want to prosecute you that they can do it and they're mm. considered to be like fully upstanding in doing that. Just mm. mad. And I think it's it's curious as to why it's taken so it long. It is. Uh, Paul Patterson, Fujitsu's Europe chief executive, said the company was truly sorry and acknowledged a moral obligation to help fund redress for sub-postmasters convicted using data from Horizon IT system. And they said, we were involved from the very start. We did have bugs and errors in the system and we did help the post office in the prosecution of sub-postmasters, he told MPs on Tuesday in right. the UK. Only 93 so, of the convictions have been overturned to date at this point, which is a very was, small number. It's devastating. Of, something like, which is now accepted as a scandal and a massive mm-hmm. yeah. just calamity of justice, really. But It's yeah. ruined people's lives. Yeah. Mm. You know. um, in completely separate news across the water, um, I which was... Which water? <laughs> the, the, the other water. Across the, across the other water. Other the water. bigger water. The bigger water, uh, where it was minus 21 and... and uh, Sean Whelan's uh, get up on the North I News. I absolutely love Sean br- Well, like, to, be, to be fair, when you think about the weather and plus the wind chill, you'd absolutely need a beanie hat under a balaclava, under a beanie hat, under mm. a parka hoodie. Like, I no, no judgment here at all. I want to see what Murray, his cameraman, was wearing. <laughs> Excellent question. I <laughs> uh, hope they're both keeping well this week yes. anyway. Um, Donald Trump winning the Iowa caucuses for the Republican Party, as we fully expected with like between 50 and 55% of support. It kind of begs a question for me and I, I know as the the political correspondent around the table, I should have the answers to this, but I, I don't. I'm not really sure what's the point of competing to be a close second between, like, for example, like Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley. Is it that they want to be front runners to be added to his ticket? Because obviously Mike Pence ain't coming back. Mm. Is it that they want to be the presumptive fallback option in case Donald Trump finds himself in jail? Like, I, I'm not really... Is, is that what it is? Like, well, is, that, is that what the game is? For the first point you say is running to come a close second. Nobody is coming a close second at this point in time, mm. which is shocking. Like, the, the, the scale of the victory here is probably even beyond what people expected. People expected Donald Trump to dominate the Republican nomination process. Uh, he won by 30 points in Iowa. The previous biggest margin of victory in Iowa was 13%. So more than double that. Um, 
I think there is a feeling, there was a feeling, and the best analysis of it is that you are trying to run and stay in the race as long as possible and then hope that Donald Trump's legal issues completely derail him. That doesn't seem like it's going to happen at this point in time. Some people were hoping as well that they would end up in the ticket or as his, as his VP uh, nominee once he is declared the Republican Party uh, nominee. Um, Which is kind of semi-plausible for Nikki Haley because she was at least part of his administration first time around and there's there's been a certain amount of clear blue water since but she hasn't massively repudiated him or put to bed she's the getting, idea that the last I election think, was stolen. Yeah, both Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are getting a little bit better at saying that Trump is not good for America and that he's unreliable, that he's chaotic, that it's, you know, divisive politics. But at the end of the day, they're all yeah. going to roll in and support him when, yeah. when it comes down to it as well anyway. Well, looking at Nikki Haley's social media stuff, though, her shtick is definitely that I have a better chance of beating Joe Biden than he does. Like, that's kind of her whole thing is that she's like, you know, oh, I'm a better alternative to voters than Joe Biden than, you know, Donald Trump would be. Did you see that he, sh- he shared this quite unflattering picture of Nikki Haley? on Instagram but with no oh, caption that, I just want to show you oh, it's just that's, that's, that's a doctored Hillary Clinton logo the hate yeah okay. basically morphed her into Hillary Clinton right yeah. I was thinking the makeup didn't look great um, <laughs> thanks AI yeah. thank you AI for that um, but I just I, I think that her Nikki Haley's definitely you know position on all this definitely seems to be that she thinks that she's a better alternative in terms of the battle against Joe Biden for Republican voters. I, I could see see that sticking if Donald Trump weren't around. That it, There'd be a lot of prospective Republican voters who sort of feel morally compromised about mm. Donald Trump and what he has stood for in the last eight years and would love if there were a better front runner. But they just know which way the wind is blowing and that he's going to be the guy in the ticket and that they, it's, it's a case of the devil you know or the devil you no, slightly less. Um, so, like, it, it's, it's not winnable, but it's it's fascinating to keep an eye on it. And um, the one thing about the um, the legal woes is not isn't Super Tuesday, which is almost where it could be wrapped up. That's before he's. This will be in wrapped court. up in March. Yeah, yeah. This will be wrapped up. So he'll have the nomination sealed down before there's a danger of him. Don't don't, don't lose trial. any sleep watching CNN overnight for the next couple of months. It's it's done. Uh, at this point <laughs> in time, it is done. Uh, the only hope, if you were if you were to, to to hope that this is a more protracted and drawn out and, you know, good horse race is the fact that Iowa is consistently inconsistent at picking both Mm. nominees and presidents. Mm. So the last three uh, Republican Iowa caucuses picked Ted Cruz, Rick Santorum and Mike Huckabee, uh, none of which, of course, none of whom, I should say, went on to clinch the nomination. Uh, It's only picked three presidents in its caucuses over... 1972 which have radio. Is, which that is, is actually mad when you consider yeah. how many how many like hundreds of millions are poured into campaigns basically to, to remain competitive in Iowa and New Hampshire and Iowa you know, they tout themselves as being the presidential wine tasters of America and actually mm. their record of wine tasting is pretty crap. Yeah it's not great <laughs> not great um, but yeah he's um He's, he's uh, as much momentum as you could possibly yeah. want from anybody in Earth now. And uh, it's not looking great for Joe Biden. His approval rating is just very, very bad. Mm. I'm sure we'll have plenty more to talk about. Indeed, because it's going to be a long old electoral year. Um, before we move on, um, it is worth noting that obviously this week marks 100 days of the conflict between Israel and uh, Hamas. And we've spoken at length about it and no doubt we will continue to do so. And there's obviously huge ongoing humanitarian crises and the prospect of famine having already set in in some parts. Um, mm. But it is worth noting on that front that we have at least had and Richard, I think you were right in describing this when we were just in the ad break there. The first actual sort of diplomatic accord of any sort that there's been or a deal between Israel and Hamas about 
getting some food in there. Yeah, I think this is it is noteworthy for that fact that since the truce broke and we've seen the worst violence of this uh, conflict to date, there has been no agreement reached between Israel and Hamas. This is the first time that's happened. So humanitarian aid has arrived into uh, Gaza, the Gaza Strip. Um, there will be medicines included in that for Israeli captives who are held by Hamas. And that's why Israel signed up to this deal. But again, it's completely worth stressing that the aid which is arriving is again far, far beneath what is needed to sustain a part of the world which is now suffering from the worst food crisis anywhere in the world, uh, with many parts and pockets of the Gaza Strip, particularly in the north, already suspected to be in meet the definition of famine. Um, so this is a starting point potentially, but it is not something that should be hailed as a great success but definitely but something which is noteworthy. Acknowledge that it exists. Exactly. But I think it, 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 there's interesting stuff clearly happening in the back. While Dadu, uh, who we've talked about, the journalist uh, from Al Jazeera who's lost two sons, a daughter, his wife and grandson, mm-hmm. uh, he has now left Gaza temporarily. He's gone to Qatar uh, for medical treatment. That deal seems to have been part of the overall negotiations here. So obviously we wish him well. The video of him... Oh, the video of him being evacuated was absolutely... Oh. God, it was, it was just so like it was so sad. It was so unbelievable. He like you and I actually messaged last night. Yeah. Like he just looks emotionally exhausted. That's a he? shattered man. He's so. just broken. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he yeah, so strong and somebody who has been so strong. But like there has to come a point where you go, I just need a minute here, you know. And I think hopefully he'll get the care that he needs. Yeah. So I think the hope actually really is with the negotiations we've seen and this starter aid agreement is this leads to something bigger. That's all we can all hope for. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I know the three of us will remember the massive controversy that there was in mid-2021 when it emerged that the investment fund was buying up almost an entire housing estate in Maynooth, which was originally mm-hmm. marketed as being for owner-occupiers, prospective first-time homes. Uh, and the government massively hiking stamp duty at the time, bringing it from 1% to 10 the idea being that it would be so penally high that nobody would ever do it again uh, when it came to houses. Turns out that hasn't happened. And we've had reporting from the Business Post in the last week that an estate in Dublin 17 has been 85% bought by a German fund. Back on the political agenda, and there is a motion before the Dáil tonight, non-binding, we should say, uh, from Sinn Féin, which wants to hike stamp duty even further mm. to 17%, with a view to actually making it so penal that investment funds wouldn't do it again. The government is rejecting that motion on the premise that uh, it doesn't think that it's a very well thought out idea. Uh, and yet Leo Varadkar has also said, in response to questions from me and others, that he recognises that there might be an issue where 
the existing 10% is not penal enough. Well, so what's what's a guy to do? Mm. This, is, this is the thing about the 17% and it was actually something, so I was out uh, I was chatting to the opposition parties today, first day of the doll, um, Social Democrats in particular about the Sinn Féin proposed 17%. They think, well, like if you're dealing with, as was reported in the Business Post, around Belcamp or in Belcamp Manor, yeah, yeah in Balgriven, Dublin 17, uh, that the investment arm of Deutsche Bank like the scale we're talking about here is Deutsche Bank, um, mm. this 800 billion euro German asset manager. They have lots of money. The, the they will be okay. Yeah, they 17% is not going to dissuade them. Yeah. But that is an insane amount of houses to be bought uh, in bulk. And 17%, like ticking it up to 17%, I don't think that is going to be that it's dissuasive. Do you not think so? Because I, think I said deterrent. this to Owen O'Brien was, was doing media in Leinster House on Tuesday before the doll came back. And I said to him, listen, if 10% is is not supping. Like, I, I don't have the figures in front of me, but the, the houses in Belcamp Manor were bought for something in the region of 23 million euro, give or take. So the stamp duty is about 2.3 million. Mm. If it were 17%, the stamp duty would be about 3.6 to 3.7 million. I'm not sure that's penal enough to stop them doing it. Because given the way the rent's gone up, they'll get it back I was just going to say, like, you know, those houses will probably be rented out for three or three and a half grand a month. Yeah. You know, the advertising price now is 3125 per month per for month three bedrooms. Yeah. So, but if somebody bought that, that again, and they yeah. had a mortgage on it, it would probably be what, like 1500 or something, 1700 a month mm. would be their mortgage, whereas they're going to end up paying over three grand a month in rent now. Also, very notable in that instance is that the houses were originally advertised at a certain price. And when you add up the, the net purchase price of what these 46 properties should have been, actually they've been given something of a bulk discount where mm. the extra stab duty that they're paying. Uh, is actually like only... Like one get one half price? Well, no, not quite at that level, but I think that the, the mass market price, if you were to buy them all together, would have been ballpark 26 million mm. and they were paying 23. So even higher stamp duty would only just ease into the bulk price savings that they got. Um, it's it's going to bring... come home with an extra 500,000. Yeah, which, so like, which is why this, like, it's really going to upset people. Like, I'm nearly surprised that the story didn't kind of set off a little bit more last week when it was first reported because we all remember how yeah. emotive it was mm-hmm. in mid-2021 being in Mullen Park in Maynooth mm. and this idea that a development which was literally advertised as being your starter home and it was specifically pitched that way mm. and there's mm. plenty of contemporaneous reporting about Belcat Manor as well saying yeah. it was supposed to be the same and now it's just not mm. and the, the, the one of the major things the government did to try and stop this happening has literally been proven to be in this exactly. instance at least completely unsuccessful mm. now, Leo Varadkar did say or did point out that the one other change they made in 2021 was a change to planning rules so that councils could now in future stipulate that any new development that was seeking planning permission would have to be retained for owner-occupiers and could not be sold on to investment vehicles like in this instance, which is fine in practice once that kind of bleeds into the system. But the delay in lodging planning permission versus getting planning permission versus turning the sod versus building the stuff Mm. versus getting it to market, that's such a years-long process now that it would actually be years before a development was only conceived of in 2021 would fall into that net. So we're going to see more of this, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, we absolutely are. I actually mm. think it's interesting. I would say you're, 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 the point you're making about you're surprised it wasn't as, as, as much anger and outrage about yeah. it as you I think it was probably, there's an element of the fact that there was other things happening which had a lot of focus on them, particularly on the uh, asylum seeker accommodation Fair. over the last week. I did think I'd, I'd, see, I'd seen a lot of this, like particularly the Business Post's reporting was shared a lot. I think mm-hmm. there is a level of upset and anger about this, which can only grow and grow and grow and fester. Um, and it might drive, drive more and more people to consider leaving the country. I do feel that it's that emotive and that, that powerful of an issue. It, it's interesting, the political response to this from the opposition parties. Again, just going back to the Social Democrats, because they really wanted to pu- push home on this, because they feel that this is something that their potential voters will go for. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the Social Democrats are often hit, I think, from the left-hand side for not being radical enough. Their proposal there today was, as opposed to 17% increase, that they should whack up the stamp duty to 100% um, for vulture funds and, and, and investment funds buying up, basically to double the price of buying massive estates worth of houses by these funds uh, and completely just stopping it. Um, now, some people will say, well, that's just not going to ever happen. But it is interesting that they are now rationalising, right, we're being outflanked here, we need to start and make housing our mm-hmm. make housing our baby as a but political issue. I suppose, yeah. Putting themselves out there as, a, as competition. Like, <clears throat> I think it's interesting when you look at the rental market, we've talked about this before, you know, and I've even seen it myself, you know, that you are looking at some estates that will have like two or three streets that are owned by funds, you know what I mean? So yeah, it's like, yeah. you know, like I have seen that myself and I've seen, you know, how that works and all the houses are, you know, they're decorated identical and they're all, but they're all in the region of 3,000 or, or more a month to rent all of these houses, you know, and like it goes back to the point I'm making, if people were able to actually access a mortgage, actually get affordable financing that they can, you know, make their repayments and own their property at the end of a hard work you know, lifetime career. That's a totally different dynamic. That's what was afforded to, you know, our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation. And it's it's a basic thing. It's a breakdown of the social contract in so many ways between Ireland and its people that young people today can't get a start. You can't get a start. You can't get the mortgage. You can't get the jump onto the ladder that will give you that security of tenure, give you a home, give you something that you can own at the end of a lifetime of hard work. And it's mainly mainly because a lot of this is going on wholesale. Uh, one thing I want to think is very uh, notable to, to draw a line under this. I'm looking at the government counter motion, which is going to have been debated and effectively voted on by the Dáil by the time people get to uh, listen or hear this. And I'm looking to see if the government has a specific reason why it is voting this down. And there is nothing specific about 17% that they say is bad. They just say, look at all the other things we're doing. Uh, invest 5.1 billion euro budget this year of capital investment in housing, for example. The budget committed to deliver 9,300 new built social homes to make available 4,130 for affordable purchase and cost rental. Urban regeneration. It's effectively, look at all the stuff that we're doing, but no actual reason as to why 17% is a bad idea, which... Will be interesting to see how that plays out in the days to come, whether people actually do think that there is something bad about it or whether they just think the government is saying no because there aren't any good ideas of their own. In the off chance that you're watching the Saturday morning repeat of this on Virgin Media 4, you might divert the, the eyes of younger viewers away for a little bit because uh, we said last week we were going to all go away and watch Saltburn and then come back with our thoughts. I commitment I regret. There your thoughts regret? No, I, no, I actually, I, I, the, the, the way I have mo- multiple times described Saltburn is I didn't think it was a great film, but I had a great time. I had a great you time. actually have said that a couple of times. I, I, That's a neat summary. Yeah. Um, I, I hope that like I don't want my mom listening to this at this part oh, of the no. podcast. Oh, no. Tune out now, please. Turns out, maybe done. It's like I, I can imagine. I actually have heard of other people who have watched this film with their parents, and I find that oh, no. incredibly why awkward. Would you do that? Like, I just why just have a read of the synopsis there. Look it online and see what people yeah. are saying about it. I actually watched be it by myself because I was like, I don't want to. Like, and I was doing a few jobs around the kitchen. And I had it on in the background, and I actually just. <laughs> There were so many moments where I was like, I cannot believe well, this is happening. So just... we, we were saying, we were talking about our different experiences in our group chat. Yeah. And yeah. you said that you didn't think it was a film that you'd find yourself ever re-watching. And I feel conflicted about that because uh, I don't think this is a massive spoiler to tell our audience that, as with all films, there is a bit of a twist 
towards the end. There, there is a sting in the old storytelling tale. And that makes me want to go back and watch oh, it to Barry see there. should I have seen it coming. Mm. But also there is yes. a bit of me that's like... Absolutely should. <laughs> I'm telling you now you again. should. <laughs> but you, yeah... Um, no. I don't think I'll watch it. I don't think I'll watch it again. No, Maybe I will. One and done. Like you're not watching it again. Like, I, I probably might. Ugh, yeah, it's hard to know. But like it, the the thing about Saltburn and the reason we're talking about it, and the reason it's worth talking about, it is that it's become by a mile the most talked about film mm-hmm. of award season, despite the fact that it probably will not win many mm-hmm. awards if any Barry at the Oscars. Like Barry like, Keoghan is absolutely outstanding. He is amazing. He is really excellent. He's, he thought he's gone up a gear. Well, like he's next level. Do you some, think what? Like okay. Again, I'm not... This, I, look, if you're going to get... Saltburn's probably been spoiled in your eddies. Don't complain about spoilers. Yeah, about we're going right? to have spoilers. So That's a warning. We're Barry, okay, Barry right. Keoghan's character is a, a, a Merseysider, so he has a Scouse accent. Oh, the accent's Liverpool not accent. great. Okay, fair enough. But, it's not look, great. again, a concept or a theory about this is because he's putting on this accent, because he's trying to, mm. you know, portray himself as a certain type of character. Mm. That's intentional. But okay. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not oh, sure. So what the, the accent is deliberately iffy Hashy. because... It does disappear because a couple of times. Because the thought is that the character himself is putting on the accent. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so that's okay. an interesting theory. There's a lot of theories out there. I Reddit did. is full of ter- theories in this film. Oh, well. yeah, oh I, I did hear the Dublin <laughs> accent slip in a small bit every now yeah. and again. I actually didn't realize that there was a like a Saltburn subreddit. If there is actually, I'm going to be going ahead. There is actually, that. I think. Yeah, yeah. But because I, I, I was Googling, I wanted to see what the reception was because like the, there's a there's a thing which I actually really find annoying in films which is when at the end of the film having done the twist the director goes back and plays a montage of here's how you should have seen it coming <laughs> as if this was Scooby-Doo yeah. not, um, not all of which was obviously seen first time around yeah. so it was bits where you suddenly discovered I, after the fact I, I found it a little bit of a pat in the head like do you know what I mean it's like thanks for telling me that this was all a, 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 a plan yeah. um, but the thing and what we were talking about earlier on in the group chat about this yeah. is that this is, and it does mark a moment for people of our generation in that the retro cool decade yeah. has now shifted to the mid 2000s. Um, so we possibly we, for the first time. Almost geriatric millennials are now the ones that are being depicted. Uh, oh yeah, retro. On well, screen. like I was class of 2006 in school, so this is like totally parallel with my yeah. you know age and everything. Um, and actually, Jacob Elordi's character sort of like wears the same clothes as my 2006 boyfriend this, would have worn. Yeah, <laughs> kind of. Funny. Do, do, yeah. I think we're going to see studs. They're back. Well, well yeah. he didn't have an eyebrow stub, but he definitely had a lot of those at t-shirts. One point, didn't he? He did have an eyebrow stub. No, my no, but just, oh, you, oh, oh, sorry, sorry, no, sorry. No, my apologies. I wonder will they come back now as a result of popularised by the guy from Euphoria? I think a lot of this. Well, like this has been coming for a while. There's been a lot of like um, what's described as indie sleaze um, nights organised around Dublin, um, which is looking at that sort of mid 2000s MGMT like Ab- Abercrombie uh, polo shirt. Yeah, kind of the collar popping as Jacob Lordy wears in the film, like yeah. live strong bands and, and festival wristbands, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. The music choices, the aesthetic of the mid 2000s. Yeah is now back in a big, big way. So it's weird for, it was, I put this out in threads. It was the first thing on threads that had a little bit of traction. I know, uh, I need to join threads. I, I don't, it's a waste, it's a waste of time. Okay. It's a waste of time. Right. But anyway, um, so like I put it out there saying like, I was around the first time around when MGMT's Time to Pretend was used in montage yes. sequence. Yes, yes, yes. Because it was used all the time in montage mm-hmm. sequences in the mid 2000s. Yeah. And now it's back in a retro sense. I was like, whoa, like, this is what it's like to be, it's supposed to be like, it's like to be like, you know, to pine back yeah. to the 80s, which has come around about eight or nine well, times like, at this point. I, I did my leaving search 
20 years ago this year and my abiding memory of like my first few weeks in the UCD student bar is Mr. Brightside by yeah, the killers. And yeah. to hear that like <laughs> contemporary in a retro scene um, the what block party this block modern party, love. Block party like, I'm having I, such a moment now. I had I a block the murder on the dance floor is a throwback for people now. Like that still feels like it could be a oh, new that's song. Like the oldest that's, not, that's not a throwback scene. <laughs> That well, it's in, which is mad. Uh, oh, you're um, right. Yeah, it's not actually. The, like block party, that, that particularly, like th- that and um, arcade fire, no cars go. Like yeah. that being played contemporary. Block party in particular, because um, you both might remember the block party was my sig tune on radio for nearly five yeah. years, oh, and yeah. it never once struck me as being retro until then the penny dropped as I was watching Saltburn that the album it came from is 18 years old yeah, and it was immediately yeah. immediately aged it's wild that yeah but I think a, a lot of the conversations whenever and people everybody has conversations about Saltburn um, a lot of it is around like what the, the biggest or most dis- disturbing or disgusting scene would be yeah. I'm not going to go through the details of them on this podcast <laughs> there are multiple this is a, candidates this is a family show <laughs> but there's no man to do these scenes like Barry Keoghan Barry Keoghan in multiple films now has mm. gone I was just going to read to you he has admitted himself that he improvised on that grave scene if you haven't seen it yet of absolutely no, 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 no surprise yeah, no, to me. he has told uh, GQ I asked for a close set I said I want to try something and I just wanted to see what I do as Oliver when action happens and where I went and to me he just went to a place of being totally heartbroken and lost and confused well confused is definitely confused is definitely I mean in yeah. those circumstances uh, wow that so wasn't that's in the script not, I think it was written. like sort of sob on the grave might have been the direction and then Barry took it up a gear and um, yeah yeah. well it, it, it gets taken up a gear uh, we'll yeah. certainly say that much which is one reason why you shouldn't watch it with parents or children basically. or anybody watch it, really watch it, <laughs> watch watch it, it solo own. effectively yeah. uh, are you guys watching anything else decent at the minute yeah I'm watching something on Apple TV but I can't remember the name of it <laughs> So we Real quality, I know, I'm so sorry. I, um, I saw the um, Priscilla film also starring Jacob, Jacob Lordy, Lordy, yeah. who's the man oh, this is the, not Priscilla Queen of the Desert, but rather Priscilla, Priscilla Dawn Elvis. Presley, yeah. No, the, the wife of Elvis. Sorry, but apparently, yeah. 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 Sorry, Lisa Marie's daughter, yeah. yeah. Uh, Elvis, not a great man, according to this film. Uh, <laughs> Jacob Elordi, not a great man in many history playing. But he does a, I think he does a decent Elvis. A lot of people have sl- slated him for his Elvis, but I feel it was, yeah. it was somewhere... Like the Austin Butler Elvis found, felt very cartoonish to me, mm. but I don't know. It was just like caricature. Are you yeah. watching anything besides Bluey? Uh, besides Bluey and uh, certain episodes. Did Bluey have of, a new season out or a new yeah, episode? Yeah, season yeah. Seven, seven dropped on uh, Disney Plus last week, huge. which is huge news huge. in our house. Good for Bluey. Uh, I'm watching a. <laughs> A, if uh, the idea of a European Parliament version of The Thick of It sounds like something you'd want to watch. I met somebody the other day, somebody in Leinster House who said they'd only just started watching Veep and I was madly jealous because like what a I've great thing to be. You've never watched Veep? No, did I you watch like The Thick of It? Oh yeah, I did, yeah. So your man from The Thick of It is in that thing I'm watching on Apple TV but I still can't remember Peter Capaldi? Yeah. Oh, okay. sorry. Yeah, it's yeah. criminal something it's called. Anyway, yeah, okay. go on. Right. <laughs> Sarah enjoys that. Yeah. Um, there is a series called Parliament on um, TV Sank's online player. It's originally in French, oh. uh, but the subtitles are there. Uh, re- really bizarrely entertaining because the European Parliament, uh, I know from some people who've worked there, it's basically full of characters and a lot of them are on the DOS and it's a very good illustration <laughs> of uh, that sort of on European the European elections coming up soon. Massively <laughs> powerful people, but a lot of them insanely often on the DOS. Uh, that is our lot for this week. Uh, thank you to everyone who has uh, watched or followed. Thanks to everyone back room here and apologies to everyone again uh, for being slightly late on my own arrival this week. Uh, thank you, Richard. Thank you, Thank Zara. you, Gareth. Uh, thank you, Neil and Rory and everyone else behind the scenes and we'll catch you again same time next week. Bye. Bye.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.